So first of all, thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to, to share the word. Uh, we have a great pastor. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I definitely know our pastor follows Christ. And, and uh, so I feel safe under his leadership. And I have, I've learned things and grown. And especially the teachings about the heart of God and the kind of heart that he wants us to have. It has really forced me to slow down and think about why I'm doing what I'm doing. And um, new life has come out of that, and I'm very excited. I think what happens in your heart doesn't leave you as fast as what just happens in your head. So thank you so much for, you know, staying with it, you know. Yes, if, you had done, if, it, if it was like a touch and go, I, I would have forgotten a lot of those um, important points, but you just didn't let up <laughs> on the heart stuff. And uh, it got through eventually, and now I love it. Um, and uh, actually, what happened was that I, I, I had, the week before uh, your sermon, um, I had taught a cl- a, my last um, lecture for my class. I teach a class, social psychology at Tech. And um, I taught on religion in America. I did like a survey of the state of religion in America. And um, I learned some things that um, discouraged me, and I was all bent out of shape. And with the data, and and then God, God gave me a follow-up, okay, that helped me make sense of everything, um, and I'll tell you how that happened. Um, but so I was like, I I was super excited. I had like a, a a paradigm shift in how I think about the world, the lost, and all that. Um, and I was like, wow, this is good stuff. And um, I was looking forward to eventually sharing with Pastor. But after he preached that Sunday, last Sunday about Jonah and Nineveh and all that, I was like, wow. Um, he, you know, he was in line. So, so Pastor kind of brought us to the point where we all agreed that God doesn't want to burn down Nineveh, okay? God wants to save Nineveh, okay? And he wants to use us to go save Nineveh, okay? So we're all, I, mean, I don't think anybody disagreed with that at the end of the sermon. We, we all, it was all clear, Okay? Um, but I think there was a, a burning question in our hearts, and um, I felt like it would be wrong if I think I had kind of the answer to it, that I didn't at least show that to so just pastor. And I think I even came to say, hey, pastor, here's this idea I have, follow-up. Um, you can do it. Yeah, I'll just give you the points, you know, or if you want, I can teach you too. But I was hoping that maybe you would do it. Um, so he said... Um, so he was like, you know, so he listened to it. We spent like two hours, on, well, maybe like one hour plus talking about it. And I was like, you know what, hey, John, I think you can do it. You know, the examples, maybe, I mean, I'll give the examples of what you do and all that. So I said, okay, no problem. I wasn't on the schedule or anything um, preach. So, um, so I'm here. And the, the question I want to answer is, how do I reach Nineveh? Like, where do I start? They're crazy. Um, they come from different backgrounds, you know, they're like 180 degrees from me. How do I, where do I start, you know? And if you, if you, if you don't um, address that question quickly as, as leaders, if we don't address that question quickly for our, our, our flock, um, they can get overwhelmed, you know? I know I can get overwhelmed because I felt overwhelmed after my, my little um, study. Um, and if you get overwhelmed for a long time, it starts giving stress even to your physical body. Um, and it could also lead to a point where you're like, 
are like shell shocked and you don't do anything because I don't know what to do. It's like if I took took it, if you've never flown a plane before, how many of you have flown a plane before by plane? Okay, like maybe one, okay. So let's just say I picked any of you because it's only one person who's flown a by plane and say, hey, you know what? This is a plane. This is the key. All you have to do is turn it on and then just kind of um, go real fast and then kind of pull. It's going to go up there. You just kind of glide and guide it, okay? Go. You're going to be like, um, I really don't want to do this right now. I mean, even if, I mean, does your life depend on it? Uh, I don't think I'm the one supposed to be flying this. And then after a while, of course, you're petrified, terrified. But then if you don't get the voice of the Lord saying, you are to carry and evacuate all those people around you because terrorists are coming or some kind of bad thing is coming. Then you now feel double guilty. A, I can't fly a plane. And B, the lives of the people around me are dependent on me. Oh, what a wretched man or woman I am, <laughs> you know. So you have this guilt that you're supposed to be rescuing people. And they have this pet, you have this fear that you don't know how to fly the plane. So all this begins to kind of crush you. Some people just like freeze for the rest of their lives. Some just give up and say, you know what, this is not for me. Oh, God, you might as well just put me down, you know, in the doghouse in heaven. You know, I just couldn't do it, you know. And they just drop out, okay. Um, so it happens in other areas of life. But with Nineveh, with the call to reach out to this world, um, if we don't kind of learn one or two things, some little, you know, it doesn't have to be all end all, some skills, some practical skills on how to reach out to the world um, or to, to the other people out there, we will not be too happy with ourselves. Let me just say that, okay? So... Um, Look at what happened to Jonah. Okay, I have my thing here. Okay, are you seeing that? All right. And the mine is over there. So Jonah 1 verse 2, I think God told um, Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Then what did Jesus, Jonah do? He rose to flee. And like Pastor told us, he went in the opposite directions. Like, nope, gone. Okay? Um, so... Okay, we'll, we'll come back on that. So that great city was Nineveh, okay? But let's, let's kind of um, personalize it, okay? How about that great region, the New River Valley, okay? Or that great nation, the United States of America. God is calling us to reach out to our region and our nation, okay? So, Pastor told us a little bit about Nineveh, you know, that I didn't know, you know, they, were, they conquered the Jews, the Israelites, and the Israelites hated them. They were bad people and all that stuff. We know that, several other gods. Um, but let's, let's focus on the great nation, United States of America. Um, this one, I'm going to bring some of my slides from the Religion America lecture I gave, and you can see maybe why I got a little bit kind of down. Um, so what is, it, what is the state of the United States of America? What is the religious, you know, temperature? What is going on in the USA? Okay, so America's religious preferences, this was put together by the Gallup poll. Um, back in the 50s, about 
of the country was Christian, identified as Christian. And that number began to slide um, to where we are now, about 2021. It's about 70% um, of the population. Um, but even more worryingly, the percentage of those who have no religion um, has been growing, especially since 2000-ish. Um, it has been growing steadily, and it's right now about 21%. Okay? And um, the, the, the non-Christian media loves this trend. They're like, ooh, what would it look like in 2050? It may catch up 50-50. I'm like, no, it won't. Because we're going to wake up, okay? So um, here's another statistics by age, how people are, you know, associating with Christ based on their age group. So you will see that um, essentially what's happening is that about 36% of Americans between ages 15 and 49 um, were religiously unaffiliated in 2019. So basically... The younger people were, like, not that interested in Christ, while the older folks were still holding on, okay? So if you look at the, the middle column, religious unaffiliated, you can see that from the, those who are 50 and above, um, the number of percentage that, is, that has no religion is, like, 23% and is, is dropping. But if you go up from 49 up, the percentage of those who are religiously unaffiliated is going up, okay? So, um, so the appeal of Christianity to the younger folks is um, weaker than the appeal to the older folks, okay? If you pay attention to kind of the 30s, the angels in their 30s, um, about 54% associate with, with Christ, Christianity. What happened to the rest? Okay, so... Um, I don't know why I was surprised by this originally. I guess in my mind, I thought that a lot, of, a lot more people were, you know, committed to Christ or going to church. So these statistics were, were not really encouraging. Um, here's another one. This one looks at how um, the religious landscape has changed by county over 10 years from 2010 to 2020. Okay. Um, the, the percentage of the, each county that associates with religion, whether Christianity or the faiths. When they talk about religion in America, it's mostly Christianity because like 90% of, um, of the population are either Christian or have no faith. Okay? So the other religions make like 7% or so, 7% or 8%. So most studies don't really count, count them. So change of rate of religious adherence is mainly what's going on with, with Christianity across the country. So if you look at um, the colors from deep blue up to maybe, I don't know, is that sky blue? Those are regions that have lost um, numbers. They have, they, have, they have reduced in religiosity, okay? And then the lighter colors from yellow up to red are those that have gained. And I don't know about you, but I see a lot of darker colors and blues and um, on there. I, mean, I don't know what's going on in the very top of America there. Um, there's large losses, 10% or more have lost, uh, have lost um, their religious adherence. Um, so, yeah, we are right here somewhere. It's hard to tell, like, what the colors look like over there. But 
in general, it reflects the, the statistics, overall statistics that um, people are kind of pulling away um, from, from the faith and from Christ. And then, um, lastly, let's kind of bring it down to weekly church attendance, what that looks like in the U.S. Okay. Um, so, oh, there have been a number of notable changes over time. Um, first, in the 90s, I have some notes here, weekly church attendance hovered around 43% of the sample. Um, the general trend, um, however, has been um, coming down. Especially after 2012, weekly attendance declined significantly and has been hovering around 3 out of 10 adults since then. Um, so you can see this is based on the different generations. Um, elders, I don't know what happened to the elders, like 53, from like 2012, it was 53%. Now, only about 37% of elders go to church weekly. Um, millennials, I believe those are the ones born before 1999. Um, they, they attend church about 25%. Um, so pretty much people are not going to church like before. Um, the chances are that your neighbor or, your, or somebody you meet on the street goes to church is, is reducing, okay? So I looked at all of this, and I was pretty upset. I was like, God, am, am I like among the minority? <laughs> I felt like I was among the majority. Am I, am I, am I slowly going into the minority like, am I becoming that out-of-touch guy that is saying one thing and my audience has no clue what I'm talking about? You know you have, how you, like, mention the Bible, Jesus, some reference. Yeah, hey, I know that. You know, I've heard about it, Sunday school, whatever. Yeah, but, like, I felt like the church is, is beginning to kind of lose its relevance in the, in, in the, in the country, and that really bothered me. Um, I know in my experience on campus, I run into all, all kinds of people. I mean, I had a, a colleague one time that was like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I stay, I stay uh, in my apartment with my, my girlfriend, and, uh, and, um, and uh, we, 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 you know, I have another guy who shares her, too. I was like, oh, my God. What? Who does that? You know? Like, and he was okay with that, you know? So they were just, like, different. And I'm like, Lord, this is a lot of work. I'm having to, like, learn these new people and... They don't, you know, I can just easily just reference something and they'll get it. This is a lot more work. Lord, we're losing this country. Okay? So, um, but I was pretty upset. And Pastor, you know, taught last week that God meets our wickedness with reconciliation. Okay? So, that great nation, America, with all its problems, you know, you just want to, like, pull your hair out. But God says, no, I'm interested in America, and I want you to go restore America back to me. I, I want to reconcile them, okay? So I'm like, okay, Lord, this is kind of overwhelming. This is overwhelming. What do I do? Where do I start? You have professors who are talking about non-binary stuff. I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, can you get any crazier? Okay? Um, so... Um, So God's attitude towards the saved is reconciliation, okay? 
My attitude towards the saved is actually similar, you know. I want to reconcile them, sure. I just don't know how, and I'm frustrated, okay. Um, God's attitude towards the unsaved is patience, and then this was where God and I kind of differed, because my attitude was impatience, okay. My attitude, I wasn't like Jonah, like I wasn't going to like, you know, say, God, let him burn. I'm not going to talk to them, okay. My attitude was like, I'm a one-shot preacher. I'm going to tell you, give you, give you the opportunity. Jesus loves you. You know, you, you're going to hell. Get off the road, okay? If you take it, great. If you don't take it, well, I did my part. I'm going to find somebody else, you know. I'm not coming back to you until I've gone around the whole earth type, type of deal, okay? Well, not quite like that, but my patience level, like you get it the first time, or I'm done with you. I'm moving on, okay? Mr. Opportunity is knocking. Take it or leave it, okay? I'm not going to waste my time. That was my approach. Um, God's approach is not that way, apparently, as we'll see, okay? Um, so what, what, happened, what happened for me that changed my mindset and my paradigm? Like, what was the big thing that happened for me? So I had put together this lecture, record, recorded it. I tried to put some positive spin on it because the... the, the, the the, um, the Gallup poll and the Pew Research, they were, like, drooling, you know, in talking about the statistics. I mean, they were, like, they were like more, more, more. It's Christian decline. Are people living God? You know, they were, like, celebrating. I was like, eh, it's not that bad, actually. But it's still bad, though. But So I was, putting a, I was trying to, you know, balance it for my students, and God helped me to do that. But still, the statistics were not that good, okay? So I was just overwhelmed, and I let, came out of my office and walked into my, my daughter's room, and she was watching um, this Christian cartoon called The Greatest Story, okay? And I was like, sure, whatever, you know. I, just wanted, I was just going to move through and go to my room. And then the cartoon caught my attention. God spoke to me through the cartoon, okay? And after watching the cartoon, my whole mindset was turned around. And where did I land on the cartoon? I landed on Luke chapter 15, okay? And the funny thing about Luke 15 is that there are three parables there about the same thing, okay? So in case you didn't get it the first time, you get it the second time. If you don't get it the second time, you get it the third time. So there is no, you know, argument about what God is trying to communicate in Luke 15, okay? So we'll just read it together, all right? Luke 15, um, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it on his shoulder. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. It's like, eh, okay, okay, I get the point. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So it's beginning to get my attention. Then he gives another story. 
Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house until, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting the point now. Oh, no. Then, this now was a blindsider. Well, not blindsider, but kind of hit in the middle of your eyes. And he says, to illustrate the point further. Jesus actually, I actually said that. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money, living it up in wide living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him even that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, You know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And we kind of know this story. So he returned home to his father and he, he you know, his father saw him. Okay, why is he was still a long way off? His father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son, you know, gave his spiel. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill that calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found, and so the party began. Amen. That's a little tag to it, though. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing, and was like, what's going on? Oh, your brother is back, he was, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Brother goes, I'm angry. He's not going to go in. His father came and begged him, come on. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once, you, uh, never once have, you, have I refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate. Oh, sorry. Okay, I ended it there. Okay. So did, 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 did you get the point? I got the point. And I was like, whoa, okay. Wow, that really melted my heart, you know. I was like, man, you know, God, I didn't know you were like that soft towards, you know, Nineveh and the great nation. I mean, that really touched me, actually. And, you know, the Lord began to kind of, kind of change my heart towards my crazy friends and the nation and the seemingly impossible task out there. And he did it in two ways. He showed me one particular point. Well, I, I realized one particular point. 
And that is the difference between what was lost and what wasn't lost in both cases was not their value. It was just their location. Okay? They were of equal value to the owner. So let's look at the sheep. Okay? 99 sheep in the fold, one sheep outside lost. Okay? So it's like, I'm going to go get the sheep. It wasn't like 99 sheep in the fold and then our little squirrel that got away. If it's a squirrel, you're like, eh, you know, tough luck. We'll get another squirrel. Okay? Well, this was like sheep. It was a business. It was livelihood. So you have to go get it. Okay? Yes, it was outside, but it was still a sheep. Then the next one, the woman lost, she had 10 silver coins. In our time, it would be like 10 gold coins. Okay? Nine were in the pocket. One was lost somewhere. She was like, it is lost, but it's still a gold coin, and I'm down where I'm going to look for that coin. It wasn't like nine gold coins and then one copper penny that was missing. If it was a copper penny, you're like, eh, no big deal. But it was a gold coin. And so she was like, no, I'm going to search everywhere. I'm going to turn that couch over. I'm going to find it. And she found it. And she was like, everybody, my neighbors, I found it. Yay. It is a big deal. I got my gold coin because it was valuable. It was just in a different place, you know. And, and, and it became clear to me that, oh, my God, those crazy people, they have value. And let's see what kind of value they have. Well, look at the two sons, okay? One of them was crazy, left, might as well be dead. But to the father, he was still a son, okay? Um, the funny thing was that even the older son who was at home had kind of my attitude that I used to have. He didn't think about his brother anymore as a brother. He thought about him as gone, lost, okay, beneath. He devalued him, okay? But to the father, uh-uh, that's my son. He may not be home. He may be messed up crazy, but that is my son. Then check this out. That son, the lost son, got himself so mixed up that he too devalued himself. He was like, you know what? I can go back. But okay, I can go back, but not as a son. I can go back as a servant. Because at least I'll get food to eat. So I'm going to go to my father and say, hey, father, I blew it. I lost my place. I'm okay with that. Okay to be a servant. I, I, I messed up. So just let me work with the servants here and have food to eat. I'm dying. Amen. If he had met his older brother, his brother would have said, sure, you, you, you've lost it, man. You should just go walk over there, go, go to the barn and do some stuff. And, you know, you don't belong like before. But the father said, hey, no, I'm not taking that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking that. I'm not devaluing you. No way. You are my son. 
And in fact, you know what? Even though you threw my stuff away and blew it, I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to give you a new ring. I'm going to give you a cloak. I'm going to change your sandals. I'm going to wash you up. I'm going to kill the fattened calf for you. I'm going I'm to restore you. And I was like, wow, God, do you mean that the difference between me and the people out there is just that we have, we're in different locations? That I am your son and they too are your children? That they are your children? That they have equal value? That they're as valuable to you as I am to you? Whoa. Whoa. You know, and then you hear about so many scriptures about Jesus saying the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, I was telling Pastor, look, I'm, a, I'm like a, 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 you know, several generation Gentile. I'm not even a Jew. And I'm, a, I'm, all, and I'm feeling all cool and how special I am, you know. I don't, I don't have any, any claim, you know. But God saved me. At some point, I was outside the fold. My parents were outside the fold. My nation was outside the fold. Like, I was like them. But God somehow came looking for me. And that means that I have value. So those who are still out there who have not come in, they, they, they have value too. I, it just started making sense. And I was like, whoa, I did not put people who were not saved at the same value level as myself. Sorry, I don't know, maybe you did, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? Man, when will you get it together? Like, you were so lost. You're so, like, off. Oh, God. How, I didn't even know how you stand these people, you know? But God, they are my brothers. They are my sisters. The, my father's heart is breaking for them. He's looking out for them. I'm wondering when they will come home. Just like he was looking for me, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is way, way, way more serious than I thought. So that was the first thing. And I think that was the first thing in, in reaching out to Nineveh, in reaching out to, you know, our nation, is that we have to have the right attitude towards the lost. We have to have the right attitude, have the heart of God for the lost, because that makes a whole difference. They are equal in value to us. We are not better than them. The difference is that we have come home. They are still outside. And God is looking. God wants, the way God was looking for you and I and working over time, you know, like I talk about patience. If God gave me the one-shot gospel, I will not be here today. I tell you that because I don't think I accepted one on the first time, second time, third time. I don't even know when I accepted, but I know it wasn't the first time. Okay, so same thing with everybody else. God wants to reach them. He's trying. He's trying. Sometimes, it's, you know, he gets close. Sometimes, you know, they slip away. But they're valuable. If they were not valuable, then they will not be worth, they will not warrant the effort. Okay, so that's, that's the second thing. Okay, um, because everyone is valuable to God, then the way we handle them, you know, matters. The way we handle them matters. I talked about patience. I wasn't giving anybody, you know, I wouldn't preach you three times. Why? Because eh, if you get lost, you know, no big deal, you know, or we'll, get, we'll save some. But 
will I do that to my brother? Will I do that to my sister? Like, and, and try one time and say, oh, you didn't get it, so I'm leaving you. No. I was like, you're my brother. I don't want you to go to hell. You know, come on. Let's, you know, let's find another way to get this message across to you, you know, because I place value on my, my biological brother. So because we are of equal value, Nineveh and Jerusalem, the unsaved and the saved, we're equal value, then how we go about sharing the gospel, reaching out, you know, is drastically changed. It's drastically changed. Um, so I have it as, okay, so if we go to application, you know, your estranged brother and sister are co-bearers of the image of God, co-bearers of the image of God. The scripture talks about um, in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky, see the walk of your fingers, the moon and the stars, I ask myself, what are mere mortals that you think about them, human beings that you care about them. You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. That is everybody, every human being, saved and unsaved, okay? They are children of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our sin, our location doesn't change that. So God places value on us, okay? Now, the second application, this one, you know, I kind of break it down to other parts. Because of the value, equal value, just keep that in mind, equal value, that strong out person, you know, that um, um, even the, you know, sometimes we also look at it as, you know, we, 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 the way society values people, you know, they put them in rags, you know, rich, poor, you know, um, attractive, unattractive, um, addicted, not addicted, educated, uneducated, like we, we, we rank people all the time, okay, Citizen, non-citizen, male, female, we're always trying to rank people. But that's not God. That's not God. They're all equal, okay? So I was like, okay, God, if, if you are seeing that unbeliever, that unsaved, crazy person as valuable, valuable as me, then I have to slow down. I have to slow down. I have to approach this person with respect. I have to cherish them. I, I will not write them off quickly. I have to really change my approach. The one-shot gospel thing that I do, that has to end. I have to be ready to try and try and try and try and try to get them because you are trying and trying. You have not given up on them. Okay? Um, I'm going to skip some scripture. Um, so I, I have to engage with wisdom. Okay? And tact. Because I don't want to lose that gold coin. I don't want to lose that, that sheep. I don't want to lose that son for God. I have to be wise now. Okay? This, the stakes are high. Okay? I'm about to win over somebody who is valuable, as valuable as me to God. So I can't just be careless in how I preach the gospel. You know, I can't, I can't live out my life in a way that will turn someone that God has been spending years trying to get that don't push them away from God. I have to be attractive and winsome and use tact. Okay, how do, I, how do I get this person? How do I get this person? Because it's important to God. I, I study them. I strategize, okay, um, to, to, to reach them, okay? I have some scriptures, but I'll move on. Um, Paul was talking here that when he was with the Jews, he behaved like a Jew. When he was with the Gentiles, he behaved like a Gentile. When he was with those who were weak, he behaved as if he was weak. Uh, at the end, so, so for I want... He said, I try 
to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. So Paul made efforts. You know, he customized, he adjusted his approach, you know, to, to, to try and get through, okay? Um, the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. It takes wisdom to, to persuade somebody to, to come to Christ, okay? Another application, it became clear to me that we are called to be a shining light and not a blinding light. What do you do with the truth that you have? Do you just go like, hey, um, brrr, what do you say? Yes or no to Jesus? You're like, what did you just say? Hell, heaven, sin, Bible, what is that? You just like overwhelm me. I don't know what you're talking about. You're weird. Leave me alone. Okay? Or you're, you're living in sin. Turn or burn. You know, blah, blah. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. Ah! What are you talking about? Okay? So how do I carry the light and the truth? Do I just blind people with the light? Or do I light it in a way that they can actually see? And bring things piecemeal when needed. Okay? I mean, the bullhorn Christian, you're just, hey, blah, 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 blah. You know, Jesus is coming soon. Da, 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 da. You know, it works in some places, but doesn't work too well, too well <laughs> around here, okay? Um, it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Okay, so part of shining your light is not just preaching, but also living the life, showing them the nature of Christ, that they might see your good deeds. See, God is smart. He knows that people don't necessarily listen to what you say, but they look at what you do, Okay? So that's another way, you know, it's like I make sure my light is shining, I'm, I'm acting in, in a good way, okay? Uh, another application that I realized, because the world is valuable to God, because people are valuable to God, anything that we do to move them closer to God is a blessing to God's heart. It's a blessing. They are so valuable that even if they only take one step, okay, God is thrilled, so I don't have to close the deal. I don't have to get them to the point where they give their life to Christ, okay? But I can, I can be nice to them. My, their encounter with me, however little, I can try and just kind of warm them closer to Christ. And God will bring other people, you know, to do it. Maybe, maybe they don't get along with me that way, my personality. So I'll just do the one I can. But eventually, God will get to them. And God, God is still going to reward me. For, and he's going to say, thank you for moving this, my stubborn son, closer to me. Okay, look at what Paul said. He said, I planted the seed in, the, in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who make, made it grow. Okay, so we don't have to lead everybody, you know, to make a decision. So don't feel pressure. God is still pleased when you bake that pie for somebody. God is pleased when you, you know, give some money to someone who's down and out that needs help, you know, and say, God bless you, just take this, you know. God is pleased. All of that combined, God is working it with so many other touch points to bring people closer to him. Okay? So you can be useful to God. You don't have to say, oh, I didn't lead anybody to Christ this year, so I must not be doing anything. No. God is still at work. So the later you can do, do it. Okay? Um, so, yeah, be gracious to all. And this was a big part to me. Okay? I usually will show you the truth. If you reject it, then I can't reject you, okay? I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. I have no business with you anymore. You don't want the truth. I'm moving on, okay? So 
Um, let's just say my friend circle was a little bit small, okay, among non-Christians, okay. But now I realize that since they have the same value to God as I do, since they are like essentially my brothers and sisters, hey, I can hang out with them, you know. I can hang out with them. I can, you know, I can dim my light a bit so I don't blind them, you know. But I can let them know, look, I'm with your, your father and I, we're good. Okay, I know what he wants. You're not doing what he wants, but I know what he wants. And really, I want to tell you what he wants you to do, um, but I'm not going to push it. And, you know, if you want to know more, ask me. I'll tell you. I know how to get peace. I know how to find joy. You know, I know where I'm going when I die. I have purpose, you know. Um, but in the past, I'll be like, you know, you need peace. You need joy. You know, you need, you need purpose. You need to run away from hell. You need to stop doing this thing that breaks the heart of God. And, of course, many of them were like, yeah, whatever. You know, no, I don't want to do it right now. And I'll be like, okay, tough luck. You're bad. I don't want to hang around you. And I move. And they get the vibe from me, believe me or not, that, okay, John doesn't like me. He thinks I'm not serious. I know he's a Christian, and he knows I don't buy that. So I wish I could be closer to John, but John is not really interested, okay? But now I have a different attitude. I'm like, hey, you know what? We can still be friends. We can still play golf together. We can still enjoy a good movie. We can have a good laugh. All the while, you knowing I'm a Christian, all the while, you knowing that I believe the Bible, but I'm not going to make that a requirement for loving you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you earn my affection and my time. You're my brother, and I will, I will hang with you even as you walk your journey. Even if you're going down to hell, I'm going to be walking with you, talking with you, trying to encourage you till you get to the gates of hell. And... By God's grace, you will say, you know what, John, it's not worth it. Let me follow you. Let's go. Let's go find the Father. If you decide to fall off and go into hell, you know, I will weep, I will cry, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to follow you all the way in hopes to bring you back. So that's the attitude that God wants us to have towards the lost, commitment to them, valuing them equally. Praise the Lord. Uh, Trying to close up here. Okay, so we're to love and honor all people, both inside and outside the fold, because they are of equal value to God. Okay, so that's why I'm going to wrap it up. Um, a couple of things to think about, you know, who, who have you devalued? Who have you devalued because they're not Christians? They don't know Jesus or they don't care about God. Um, how, how about yourself? You know, it kind of works the other way too. We can devalue ourselves. And say, oh, you know what, I'm not as spiritual as A, B, C, so maybe God likes some, this person more than me. Um, but no, repent of that. You, you have the same value as pastor. Okay? God loves you. You don't have any grandchildren. You. Okay? Praise the Lord. 